Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Proverbs chapter three and the other in 1 Kings chapter two. We're in part three of a series that we're calling Seriously. And we're looking at what it means biblically to take God and his person seriously and to take what he says seriously. And we're also looking at the peril that God's man puts himself in when he decides to take a vacation from his identity in God and his accountability to God. And I wanna start today's session with three words, wealth, wisdom, and power. And now I wanna ask you a question. What if you personally had a massive increase in these three things? You had a massive increase in wealth, a massive increase in wisdom, you became wise for everything, and you had a massive increase in power. Question, would you change? How would it impact your relationship with God? How would it impact your relationships with other people? How would it impact your self-perception and your perception of other people and your perception of God? You see, in today's culture, uh, we are loath to give men too much of these three things. Want to know why? Because culture believes that if men are given too much wealth, too much wisdom, and too much power and influence, they'll use it to oppress and abuse other people, right? You might have heard the term toxic masculinity. And when you turn on the news, you look around, and there's plenty of stories that reinforce the idea that, man, we got to be careful if we give men wisdom, a lot of wisdom, a lot of power, and a lot of wealth, because they're going to use that to take advantage of other people. And the message to men that's being sent by culture couldn't be clear. Being strong and being a dude is toxic, right? Don't empower them because they don't have the character to handle the power and influence that has been given and more to the point, I think, especially in this cultural moment and as we talk about broken male culture and the conduct of men and what we see in, uh, in media and news, um, more to the point, people will suffer. And that's not too far afield when we look at injustice, sex trafficking, domestic violence, epidemic fatherlessness. So the fact that culture notices that the heart, character, and conduct of men can really create a wake of destruction is, is not far from reality. And But you would think, uh, as believing men, uh, that men of God who know God would escape that pattern for the simple reason that they understand that their actions are visible to God, that there is clear instruction from God that should help them navigate away uh, from that, and that one day we're going to give an account to God. One day you and I are going to have to stand before God and give an account for the choices that we made in this life, both outward and inward choices. Now, you would think that, but when I read the Bible, um, I see that the answer is nope, not quite. Even great men of God, men of God who had amazing starts to their relationship with God, God setting them up. And that is why in part three, we're gonna meet Solomon. Solomon is the son 
of David and Bathsheba, an adulterous relationship, and by the grace of God, all right? And that's important. By the grace of God, he becomes the object of tremendous favor by God. By the grace of God, Solomon becomes the object of tremendous favor by God. And that's where Solomon and you and I have a common denominator, right? And not only does Solomon uh, ask God for wisdom as he starts to be king over God's people, and not only does God answer that prayer for wisdom, making him the wisest of all men, but God also grants him wealth and intercontinental power. So remember my question at the beginning? Wisdom, wealth, and power what would happen to you if you had a massive increase of all three of those things? And that's Solomon's story. And again, you would think because Solomon knew it came from God, that he was blessed by God, that he would take God's direction seriously over the trajectory of his life. But again, you would be wrong. Because God poured on such tremendous favor and blessing on Solomon, Solomon actually presumed on God, that God would sort of, you know, give him a pass with respect to his personal and spiritual choices. And that right there was his miscalculation in his relationship with God. Hey, God has given me great grace and favor and he's chosen me and he's put me in this position. So, I'm in a position to bend the rules. I don't have to think as seriously about, you know, what God says or sin. You know, I can I can I can be a 50-50, you know, believer. I can do some things for God, but then I can do other things because, you know, God likes me. Wow. Huge miscalculation that we're going to look at. And as in parts 1 and 2 where I I warned all of us, including myself, not to divorce ourselves from Saul in part one, not to divorce ourselves from Asa in part two, I'm going to warn you again, don't divorce yourself from the character of Solomon in today's session. Uh, We are men, just like Solomon, who are tempted to do the same exact thing that Solomon did, to think the same exact way that Solomon did. And Solomon's story is our story, right? And our battle when it comes to our relationship with God We want to be men who believed that the gift, all right, the gift and grace of God is eternal life and that the wages of sin is death, right? We want to be men who understand that that God is loving and we're recipients of God's love. But we also want to be men who understand that we are also accountable to God. Yes, God accepts us and affirms us, but God has authority and we are accountable uh, to God. So in today's session, um, this is really going to be a prophetic call to this generation of believing men worldwide who are reflecting what I would call a Solomon spirit towards sin. And it's also going to be a prophetic encouragement, I think, to all of the men of this generation who are taking God seriously and taking what God says seriously. So here's where we're headed in today's study. We're going to get God's mind 
on the progression and process of a man's attitude, right? That goes from taking God and what he says seriously to not taking God and what he says seriously. And then we're going to look at it in the second part of the study. We're going to look at it unfold in real time in Solomon's life and kind of make some application uh, for ourselves. And then we're going to close it uh, with a call to commitment. All right. So let's look on our downloaded notes there on the page. Let's look at the progression and process of starting in a relationship with God and having the right attitude. And then, then what happens? I want to, uh, Read that verse from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Man, you know what this describes? At least in 30 six years of doing men's ministry is when guys first activate. Man, they are all in, you know? They make a commitment to God. They're trusting God with their whole heart. They're not leaning on their own understanding. And then over time, there is this battle because of life, the world, the flesh, the devil, pressures, right? Where they may have started off taking God and his word seriously and uh, what he says and applying what he says seriously, but then they start to take themselves more seriously than God. And they move from healthy and humble dependency or what the Bible says, you know, leaning, uh, depending on God to prideful uh, and unhealthy self-sufficiency right? They start getting impressed. They have a polluted view of self, all right? So that's kind of the first domino in the progression to fall, is this move from, from healthy and humble dependency, right, to prideful and unhealthy self-sufficiency or being impressed with your own wisdom. You start making your own calls. It's something God makes some calls, and then I'm going to start making some of the other calls in my life, all right? So there's a polluted view of self and who actually gets to make the call. Then you see in the passage in Isaiah, sort of the second step in the process of attitude change toward God. It says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. So you see, once you start moving from healthy and humble dependency on God to prideful and unhealthy self-sufficiency, now you move from a polluted view of self to polluted thinking. You start blending uh, some of your own thinking and you start inverting you know, God's ways and your ways to actually project the idea that what you're doing that God calls sin is actually okay with God. That's what it means when you call evil good and good evil and you put darkness for light and light for darkness and bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. All right, so do you see the progression where there's a polluted view of self, all right, and where we become impressed with our own wisdom? Then that leads to polluted thinking, right? And then we see this next step, and it's uh, talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, 
They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So a polluted view of self leads to a polluted thinking, which then leads to a polluted theology and doctrine that I would just call feel-good theology. It's, I, I don't follow God and I don't follow what he says. God follows me. And the key to kind of feel-good theology is, is that you build a theology around your own desires. And you find people who will teach things and agree with you and take scripture out of context and, and develop a theology that, that gets your needs met. Um, that, that's not biblical, right? And that's not Christ-centered. And so you see this process of attitude change. It starts with, hey, you know what? I'm, you know, there's how God thinks and there's how I think. And on this one, I think I'm gonna go with how I think. That's a polluted view of self in relationship to God. Then that leads to some polluted thinking. All right, we start to actually make what God declares to be sin uh, good. And, and what's good, you know, we, we actually call that the wrong way to behave. And then that leads to this whole polluted theology, this whole feel good type theology that comports to uh, how we want what we want. And um, and then we go to the next, the next part of the process, uh, which is says this in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we get to the crossroads where, guess what? God is going to judge sin. He might not judge you immediately. In fact, you might be producing uh, benefit from your life of sin or accruing benefit from your life of sin, but God is going to judge that sin and the wages or consequences or payoff or outcomes of sin is always death. God is holy, man is sinful, and when we pursue sinful attitudes and actions, God's going to judge those because his character demands that he judge that. But a lot of men just feel like Solomon, we're going to find out. It's just like, you know, there's a little bit of God and there's a little bit of me, or maybe there's a lot of God and a little bit of me, and it doesn't matter the proportion. God is going to judge that part of your life that doesn't take him seriously, all right? And so I want us to see the progression, all right? And on your notes, there's some fill-ins, all right? It starts with pride, right? Starts with pride, and, uh, and then it moves to self-deception, right? And then it moves to spiritual rationalization, right? Ears tickled. And then it leads to judgment, all right? Death. So uh, on your notes, you can see that pride leads to being impressed with yourself. That leads to polluted thinking. You start thinking you're clever, more clever than God. And then that leads to spiritual rationalization. You start making up stuff, feel good theology, pick and choose theology, you know, desire driven theology, which isn't God at all. And then God has to say, nope, death. I'm going to judge uh, the polluted view of self, the polluted thinking, the polluted behavior that you're rationalizing, all right? Now, how do we have to think about this? Why why do we get off 
off track in in this this thing. It's because we're not reminding ourselves of why God sent Christ and what the outcome of that was and what it means for us. Just how God takes so seriously the gospel and why he sent his son. And it talks about that in Romans chapter 6. It says this, when he, Jesus, died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Okay, listen closely. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desire. Do you see how serious God took sin? He took it so serious, he allowed the torture and crucifixion of his own son, right? So that sin would be dealt with. That's serious. And and we can just pause right there and just say, wow, God did that because sin was so serious to God. Should change your attitude towards sin. It should make a mark in your brain, right? Where you say, whoa, boy, sin, God takes sin seriously. So seriously that he tortured and crucified his own son to break the power of sin for me. And in the end, guys, just that thought that God took sin seriously, he took it so seriously that he tortured and crucified his own son to break the power of sin for me, Jesus, right? He broke the power of sin. Uh, Sin died, and then he became alive to God. That's our process. We are to die to sin and come alive to God. That's the process. If your ticker is going and and you, you you're not with the Lord yet, you're dying to sin, you're coming alive to God. Serious business. All right? So, now there's God's mind, all right? There is a progression that changes our attitude and and moves us from pride and beginning to think that we can give self-permission to abandon what God thinks and do what we think. That leads to self-deception, spiritual rationalization, unbiblical thinking, and then God has to judge that because the wages of sin is death, right? Now let's look at a situation with a man, Solomon, where this actual process happens in real time and in a real life, and then we'll see his eventual conclusion about the process, all right? So the lesson of Solomon is this, and here's the headline, thinking, oh, God will give me a pass, right? God loves me, I'm under grace, therefore, God will give me a pass if I treat sin casually, all right? So let's go to the story and see part one. Here, Solomon's charge as a man of God. And we find that charge from his father, David, in 1 Kings chapter 2, where David says this, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son, quote, I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him, and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper 
in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. And so, like there is a progression that changes our attitude toward God and what he says, there's also a progression um, in this passage and in this charge to Solomon, man of God, from the man after God's own heart that we can really glean from and learn. And the progression starts with the word observe, all right? David says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That means I'm gonna die, so be strong, act like a man. What does that look like? Observe what the Lord your God requires. So that's, all right, I have to, I have to, I have to want what God wants, all right? What does God require? Well, this is where we find what God, what God requires Right? And then secondly, after observe, it says walk in obedience. So I have to observe what God requires. That's what we do on the Men's Global live stream. And then we have to align our lives and integrate what God says into actually how we think and live practically. So observe, walk, and then third, the passage says and the charge says, keep, keep the commands. So when you're keeping something, it means you're not letting go of something, right? And this is this is the intersection of taking God seriously and not. You know, we can observe God's commands. We can we can start integrating them into our lives. But guess what? We gotta integrate them and keep them in our lives today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next week, and the next year, and the next year after that year, and the next decade until we go to be with the Lord, right? So we have to keep His commands in this life. And then God has a prophetic promise. You observe what the Lord your God requires. You walk and apply what he says. You hold on to them. You discipline yourself to hold on to what God's will is and what he desires. Man, God is going to prosper you just like David promised Solomon uh, that he was going to prosper him in everything he did and wherever he went and that there would be a legacy, guys. I want you to see that, that God wanted to give a legacy to David through Solomon and through Solomon observing and walking and keeping uh, and prospering, a legacy to Solomon. Guys, if you want to leave a footprint, and I think every man watching this, this, this live stream broadcast does, right? A legacy for, for the next generation. There's your roadmap. Couldn't get more simple, right? So uh, what happened, all right? to kind of button up this launch of Solomon into kingship and influence, says this in 1 Kings 2, verse 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. And, and, and as we'll see, Solomon was set up well, Solomon started well, and um, certainly his attitude was consistent with his solid start. All right, uh, let's go to the next kind of part of the story, which is Solomon's request and, and God's favor, all right? So it says this in 1 Kings chapter 3, and this is Solomon talking to God. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. 
So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Okay, not bad, right? Great attitude, great charge from his father, and then a great attitude to kick things off. A great prayer, sincere. What do we see, right? What do we see in Solomon's prayer, and what do we see in God's response? Because this is where we want to live. We don't want to leave this place, all right? Well, write this down. We see Solomon's humility, okay? We see Solomon's humility. He says, I'm only a little child. I need help. What a great prayer, you know, and that shows his self-awareness. He knows who he is, and he knows who God is, and he knows his level of understanding, and he's going, you know what? I don't have what it takes. I need help. And so we see Solomon's humility. Secondly, we see Solomon's identity, all right? He adds this, this statement of, hey, your servant, multiple times, uh, your servant to help your people, your servant to help distinguish right from wrong, uh, your servant. And he sees himself as a servant of God and a servant of people, super consistent with the great commandment, which is to love God and to love people. And so we see Solomon's humility. We see Solomon's identity. And then third, we see Solomon's integrity, right? Solomon is on a mission, right? To discern right from wrong so that he can live right and avoid wrong and lead his people to live right and avoid wrong. Man, solid start, solid gratitude, solid humility, solid identity. He knows who he is. He knows what he what he's to do, and he knows what he wants to do. Really great start. How does God respond to humility, integrity, and an identity in him as a servant? Well, God responds this way, right? Write this down. God responds eagerly, right? You see that the Lord was pleased. Man, isn't this what every dad wants from a son to respond uh, when God shows him a path, and then you eagerly embrace that, humbly embrace it, put yourself in the B position to serve God and people, and then really go on mission to be undivided between what you believe and how you live and think right from wrong. That's integrity. So of course, any dad whose who's kid does that, that dad is gonna respond eagerly and, and move with all that he is to support that. Secondly, God responds generously. Write that down. Not only are you gonna get the wisdom, right? You're gonna get what you didn't ask for. And that's riches and honor, all right? And 
parenthetically, honor is power, right? So God responds generously. I mean, and that, again, reflects the heart of a father who eagerly wants to, to bless someone who's operating in humility and in a servant identity and, and, and pursuing integrity. Um, I think all dads want to be generous with a son like that. And then third, we see God respond conditionally. Okay, while God is eager and generous, he is saying, if, right, if you follow my commands, you're gonna, we're going to have someone from your bloodline on the throne uh, forever, okay? So solid start, great start, and this is the season where Solomon writes Proverbs, and, and if you know the Bible at all, oh my goodness, Solomon writes Proverbs, how to walk with the Lord, how to avoid right from wrong, how to have boundaries, how to have, man, as a man, you want to know how to live as a man? Read the book of Proverbs during this season of Solomon's life. It's amazing, right? He also writes the Song of Songs, which is about God's plan for intimacy and joy, right? Physically and emotionally in marriage. I mean, it's just, it's amazing, okay? So, this is, this is the best start possible that anyone could have. Solomon's a king. Solomon is getting a reputation for his wisdom. People are flocking from all over the world to talk to the wisest man on earth. His wealth is growing, right? As so is, as his wealth grows and his, his reputation grows, so does his power, okay? Now, here's the turning point. Somewhere between this prayer and this start, right, comes great wisdom, even greater wisdom and, and recognition, okay? Comes gastronomical wealth, okay? It's so much wealth, it's nauseating, right? That someone would have as much wealth as Solomon had. I mean, it, it was unparalleled. Um, he would be Jeff Bezos plus you know, Bill Gates plus Warren Buffett uh, plus Elon Musk combined, right, in today's world, all right? And then in addition to growing wisdom, growing wealth, transcontinental, uh, tr you know, power. I mean, just influence, you know, he's got projects, he's importing, he's exporting, he's got, he's building buildings in foreign countries. It's, it's just all happening for Solomon. Now, in between this prayer that we just read, uh, comes all the, a massive influx. God honors his promise. All right. Now what we want to see is what happened. Okay. God had specific rules for kings with respect to their moral conduct, with respect to their military um, structures. He had rules about um, family connections and intermarriage. Um, he 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 knew and saw that if if kings didn't follow some rules and have some certain boundaries, that it was going to create a legacy of destruction not only for the king but his people and for future generations. So let's look at Solomon's life and God's responses. Uh, to him, all right? Number one, God said, 
don't multiply wives, right? Don't have multiple wives. Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines. Okay. All right. Well, clear direction. Didn't take God seriously. Not only am I not going to have multiple wives, I'm going to have a thousand, okay? Who needs 700 concubines and 300 wives? All right. But that's what Solomon did with his wealth, with his influence and his power. Secondly, God said, don't accumulate horses. All right. I'll tell you why in a second. What did Solomon do? Solomon had 12,000 horses. Now, the reason that God gives this prohibition to a king is he doesn't want a king to trust in military might. He doesn't want him to, to lean on military power. He wants him to lean on God and, and trust the Lord because the battle belongs to the Lord. I mean, that's what we saw with Asa in part two, right? So Solomon doesn't take him seriously on that issue. Third, God says, don't intermarry. And what I mean is, is cross-culturally, don't do cross-cultural marriage because there's cross-cultural gods, and that's a danger. Uh, but Solomon married the, en the daughter of his enemy. It's sort of like, well, you know, I don't want to go to war with that guy, so I'm just going to marry his daughter. That's a daughter from a foreign country. And then he got into a habit of, of, of taking in wives from foreign countries who had foreign religions and worshipped pagan gods. And, and that leads to the next error that God foresaw and why God gave the prohibition. God said, don't worship pagan gods. You're king, don't worship pagan gods. What you do, then people mimic what you do. And what did Solomon do? So Solomon actively practiced pagan worship with his wives to please his wives. So you see this unraveling, right? Just remember that strong start? Book of Proverbs, you know, reputation, and then a massive influx. God honors his promise, massive influx of wisdom, wealth, and power, and influence. And then all of a sudden, boom. Solomon is getting pushed off his mark, right? He's not taking God seriously in the moral realm, in the military realm, in the cross-cultural realm, in the spiritual realm. And then lastly, God said, don't feed your appetites. Right? Don't, don't become a hedonist, okay? In other words, if you, if you want a philosophical term, don't be Mr. Self-indulgent, all right? What does Solomon do? Solomon never said no to himself. And he writes about that in the book of Ecclesiastes, by the way, which we're going to talk about uh, in a minute. All right. So strong start, humility, identity, integrity. It's awesome. God responds eagerly, generously, and conditionally putting in there, hey, if you don't do that, things are going to, if you don't, follow me, if you don't take me seriously, there's going to be some problems with, with our relationship. And now we see that moment. And it's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 11. It says this, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this, listen to this, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, 
I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Can you imagine being on the other end of those words? Having tasted and seen the Lord's goodness. Solomon couldn't control what family he was born into. That was the Lord. God redeemed the sin of his father, David, and out came this beautiful boy, and the boy grew up, and God gave him a throne, gave him influence, gave him his grace, gave him wisdom, wealth, and power, and he started off so well. And then somewhere along the way, he got full of himself. And then he turned from a life of of healthy and humble dependency on God to pride and selfish self-sufficiency. His attitude toward God changed. And I just want you to notice that in that, that, that monologue from God there in 1 Kings 11, 9 through 14, that, that God says, okay, since this is your attitude, mm, 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 mm. That's huge for us, men of God, because you know it all starts with an attitude. We forget. Our attitude toward God changes. We become prideful, and then we start getting clever and impressed with ourselves, and then we deceive ourselves, and then we start making spiritual rationalizations for the choices that that we are making. And there are some of us that right now you're in this process that Solomon uh, is in. Man, God appeared to him over and over again. Not only did did he speak when his through his dad, but he appeared to Solomon twice. And actually, God, um, you know, God mentions this, and uh, it's just where there's no question that it's all from God, and yet. He is in the battle that we are in. He is tempted by the things we are tempted with. He's tempted by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Solomon is us. We are Solomon. And you see the Lord's sadness. So God has to move against someone he loves because they are choosing not to take it seriously. Their attitude has morphed and shifted and God's holy. God has to judge sin. And as as Christians, as followers of Christ, you know, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. God punishes sin. And there are consequences to sin. But we can get into this same dilution and the same confusion and the same pollution of our view of selves, our view of God, Our thinking gets polluted, and there are some of us right now that are experiencing the consequences. And we're just, we've given God the Heisman in a a few specific areas of our lives. And God's got to judge that. I mean, just because you're his kid doesn't mean you're not going to get disciplined. Fathers who love their kids discipline. That's what it says in Hebrews, right? He disciplines those who he loves, right? And so when we look at the bottom lines, of what happened. We really have to pay attention, okay? So here's the first bottom line. Solomon, write this down, 
became secure in his relationship with God. All right, so solid establishment, solid lineage, solid relationship with God. Uh, God eagerly, generously responded to him. And Solomon took that in, but over time he took it in to think that, well, I have God's favor, therefore I can fudge on God's will. So many men that I counsel, countless emails, post, post-judgment, they all point back to that, boy, there was, that was my miscalculation. I just thought it was okay. It's not going to hurt anybody. You know, God will forgive me, you know. And they abused his good grace, right? So that's the first thing. You can't, you can, you can be living under grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, but you're, as his child, you're still accountable. And that's, that's why it talks about, you know, the judgment of believers, you know. God will judge the sin of the world, but he's going to judge the sin in his house. And I really feel in this cultural moment, God's doing that. And and just like Saul had that moment, and just like Asa had that moment, and just like Solomon, and we'll see, just like Solomon has a moment right here where it's just like, oh gosh, I need to repent. I need to change. I got to get back to the beginning, you know, and do the things that I did at first. This is your moment. Some of you need to, like I I've said before. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to find a place to stop what you're doing. And if you have to slow your body down to stop it and to think about it, stop your thinking and stop your self-sufficiency and repent in healthy and humble dependency upon God because you're lucky to be alive. Your very breath. God could judge your very breath and heart right now. But he doesn't because he's giving you space to make a new choice. And some of you need to make that choice right now. You need to pause and stop, right? The second bottom line is Solomon presumed on his relationship with God, okay? God likes me, but some of his rules don't apply to me, and he will give me a pass. There's the the miscalculation. Solomon becomes secure in his relationship, and because he's secure, he tends to think, oh, I have the favor of God. Now I can presume upon the relationship. I can take liberties because God won't reject me. Clearly, he's given me all this wonderful blessing, all right? Mm-mm. Huge miscalculation on Solomon's part. Number three, Solomon destroyed himself and his nation in this process. He destroyed himself. You know, God appeared to him multiple times. And you know what? I just want to say that God gives us multiple chances. God prompts us through the Holy Spirit. God prompts us through his word. God prompts us through, you know, a men's, a men's Bible study live stream community just to get it, it get to you. And... He doesn't want you to destroy yourself. He doesn't want you to destroy the people around you because you're destroying yourself. He doesn't want that that ripple effect, that blast zone of your personal and spiritual miscalculation to impact other people, all right? But those are the bottom lines. He got too comfy in his relationship with God. He presumed upon the relationship. 
And he destroyed himself and his nation in the process. Now, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, it talks about this idea of, hey, you know what? God's love and grace, we can get really comfortable with that. And we can make the same mistake as Solomon. God keeps forgiving, so we'll keep on sinning. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace can increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Wow. So the New Testament confirms the lesson of the Old Testament. Right here in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So because there's so much grace, do we keep on sinning? Because we have God's favor, do we decide to, to, to feed our appetites and to, and to do things we know displease God just because we have the grace and cheapen the grace that God gives? Take advantage. God has a boundary. He's healthy. He's holy. And he's like, no, when you start abusing my grace, like Solomon did, and you take liberties that I didn't give you, with my favor, right? Thinking that I'm going to give you a pass. What does the Bible say? May it never be. This conversation with Solomon is may it never be. Since this is your attitude, which is not right, that I'll give you a pass on all this stuff and you can have heart drift and you can have behavior drift and you can indulge yourself and you can go full force into the world. Like I'm just going to, hey, great. Great. No. Since this is your attitude, not taking me seriously, not taking what I said seriously. Instructions for kings. Look them up. Deuteronomy 17. I, I put these things in place exactly to prevent what's happened to you. And Solomon was aware of these things. It's not like he wasn't aware. Not like he was ignorant. Like, oh, I didn't know that. But there are some of you right now, God is calling you prophetically right now through this live stream to repent. You've been kind of thinking like Solomon, like, oh, I can, I can do that. But you know better. You know better. You know God's word. The Holy Spirit is convicting you, right? And you know, here's, here's, the, here's the end of the story with Solomon, right? God uses Solomon to write one more book detailing this experiment that he conducted of trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning outside of his relationship with God. Solomon in his own words, quote, I amassed gold, quote, I had harems that delight men, all right? And his conclusion in the book of Ecclesiastes is prophetic. He says it was like chasing the wind. He said it was meaningless. And in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Solomon concludes for every man listening to me right now and every man for all generations that would follow such folly, here is the conclusion of the matter. For God, fear God and keep his commands for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, which I didn't do. Keep his commands, which I didn't do. For this is the whole duty of man. See, Solomon took a vacation from his duty as God's man, right? Why? Right? Because he just let his pride pollute his view of self, right? He got polluted 
in his view of self. He got a, he got polluted in his thinking. That's what pride does. Pride pollutes your thinking, and then it distorts, right? What the Bible says, what the Word of God says, what God declares, and then now you you have this whole lifestyle that's built on a self deception until the consequences hit, and God has to move against His own Son because He loves Him, right? So I don't think it's a coincidence that God used Solomon to write the book of Ecclesiastes to do a postmortem on this whole experiment in pride and self sufficiency to conclude the book by encouraging you and I to humbly and in a healthy way depend on God and not lean on our own understanding. Don't get clever, right? Don't be impressed with your own wisdom and stay dependent. That's why the Bible has pictures, you know, potter, clay, vine, branch, right? Those are pictures of someone who is in authority, who gives life or gives intention to an object or piece of fruit. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to just have just have this, this special moment with God right now. If you are taking God seriously and you're 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 focused and you're disciplined, my my guess is is that you're you're you you can get weak in that. You might not see immediate results to you staying in in that place of 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 humble dependency on God, living out your identity and. And, and practicing spiritual integrity, being undivided between what you believe about God and how you actually live. You're, you're doing what the scripture says. You're observing, you're, you're walking, you're keeping. And, and there is prospering that is going to come to you, but you're tired, right? My, my prophetic encouragement to you, you stay with it, right? Because God has wonderful things for you and you're gonna be so glad you did, right? In the immediate in your soul and in your inner person and definitely in heaven, all right? Now, there are those of you who you haven't been um, observing, you haven't been keeping, you haven't been walking. Your lifestyle is inconsistent with the very clear instruction of God's word. And you know what? You just need to come home. You just need to come home. You need to come to your senses just like the prodigal son and you need to come back home to your maker who will receive you and who will forgive you when you repent, honestly, when you heed the words of Solomon, when he concludes the purpose of life, which is to fear God and to keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man, right? When you get underneath in your relationship with God, and now all those promises of blessing will will again apply to you, all right? So let's go to God, and let's go to him in prayer. Um, Some of you guys are on a jog. Some of you are in a car. Keep your eyes open. All right, but you can listen with your heart and your spirit in your car. Some of you are at home, I know, uh, and some of you are out on a walk or some of you are hiking, all right? Wherever you are, let's pray together. Let's join this spiritual community in Christ and let's pray to God. Father, we are Solomon. We are men with, with hearts who are eager to be the Solomon at the start every day, 
every week, every year, every decade until we go to be with you. So Lord, we're we're asking for that spirit of humility. Jesus, you said the kingdom of God is like a little child. Solomon says, I'm a little child, I need help. God, that we would never lose that humility before you when we realize we're the branch, we're the clay, we're the sheep. And you're the vine, you're the potter, you're the shepherd. Help us to stay in that place, God. And Lord, we ask that you would seal our identity. We want to be thinking about ourselves rightly, that we're your servants. We're not you. We're the servants of the Most High God. We're the servants of the living God. We're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so help us to remember who we are so we can know what to do in each and every circumstance. Help us to think of ourselves as slaves to God, which is the best place to be. To be aligned fully with you as our master and you as our king, as your ambassadors and your servants, God. Help us to think of ourselves the right way. And then, Lord, help us to be on mission for spiritual integrity to be undivided between how we think and what we know about what you say and what we know about you and how we actually live. Holy Spirit, bring humility down upon sons of the king. Bring their identity down. Seal it as God's men, servants of the Most High God. Holy Spirit, bring integrity and power to our inner being. And Lord, we know that you love that. You'll respond eagerly. You'll respond generously. But Lord, you will say to us what you said to Solomon, which is if you do not observe and keep and walk in my ways, our legacy will be impacted. You will move because of the force of who you are. God, you're holy. And you want us to be like you. So Lord, I pray for power over sin, boundaries, discernment, skill in the spiritual battle. Lord, I pray for the raising of the shield of faith and the plunging of the sword of the spirit into every lie of the flesh, every lie from the devil, and every lie from the world and culture that would try to move us in the direction of the dark season of Solomon. Lord, keep us in the light. Lord, we are secure in our relationship with you. We don't want to presume upon your grace. We want to say thank you for your grace and live life as a thank you to you. In Christ's name we pray and God's men said, amen. So I just want to encourage those of you who are joining us for the first time. This is part three. You've missed parts one and two. Go back. Download the notes. And I also want to encourage you to invite a friend. Okay. We're going to be launching a new technology called Virtual Table. So if you have friends all over the world or on different states, you can do this live stream. You can go on the side at every man. You can all be on the screen. You can pull up one of these studies. You can all have the downloaded notes and have a virtual table. How cool is that? But the team at every man, we don't want anything to get in the way of you connecting with other men. So pray for us. We're praying for you, and we'll see you next week.